0: This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American Story. Written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic.
2: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. You can follow us at randnetwork.org. I'm your host for this episode, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. We also have on the line Jamar Tisby, the founder and president of Reformed African American Network. Jamar, how are you, brother?
0: Um, that's an interesting question. Right now, (laughs) given the timing. And the reality is, um, I'm grateful that you asked it. And I'm grateful that a lot of people are asking it. Um, With the the deaths of um, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and five police officers in Dallas, um, you know, that is a difficult question to answer. And I think the entire country in its own way, is uh, is feeling the burden of the current state of racial relations today. So how am I doing? You know, on one level, I'm fine. Uh, everything's working right. God woke me up in my right mind and got me on my way. Amen. Come on. Come on, die. <laughs> but on another level, I'm grieving. I'm hurting. I'm mourning. I'm lamenting. And I'll bet there are a lot of people listening right now who can relate. How are you feeling? You know, I
2: think it's, it's interesting because— we always process too quickly, I think. And and we process and we move on and we process and we move on. And I, I think we we underestimate the amount of emotional trauma that we constantly encounter and just push off to the side without truly reckoning and dealing with broken hearts and, and shattered, seared souls. So I'm still in that lament process, man. The past couple of days have actually been very difficult and i'm not sure why mm-hmm. um but i've just kind of walked around in a bit of a daze i think yeah and I, I can't explain it i know you know what i'm talking about and i know others will will hear but it's not that i haven't been productive and it's not that i haven't cared about anything else but i'll just enter into momentary spells of silence and grief and it happened last night where i just shut down. Everything uh, was good. And I just completely shut down. I don't know why, but I haven't been able to function emotionally well in the past couple of days. And and I I like to say that it's a number of things. I think last week I didn't sleep. So um, I mean, when I say I didn't sleep, I slept, but I didn't sleep well and I didn't sleep long enough for the human body to be healthy. So I think that might be part of it that that catching up with me but I, another part is just my heart is broken man um I don't know how else to say it. I have a broken heart And and thinking about the burden of and, and it's compounded right so it's the broken heart from what happened. It's the confused mind at some of the reactions that I'm hearing and then it's the burdened soul from the idea that, well, well, now as a leader of of my house, as a leader of my church, as, as someone who strives to lead my community, I need to not just process and lament, but I need to start steering towards action in very mm-hmm. specific ways. And so that's going to require the uncomfortable thing of leaders, which is to process in public. So I'm going to have to process in public and I'm going to have to bear my soul And I'm going to have to have those moments of distress and lament and let people see and hear that for the sake of their own um, healing. So those are things that I'm processing right now. And to be honest, y'all, we we just want to come together and just talk about the previous week, some things that we found helpful, some things that we didn't, maybe some questions that are still lingering. This is not really a polished podcast in the same sense as we have Uh, Previously, we normally have a couple of questions and a couple of topics that we want to reckon with. This is more of, and and I want to be very careful about reopening the grief that some of you may be feeling, but this is where we're at. And I felt that it would be most helpful to just be honest and transparent about where we are and to talk as brothers and to talk as, as citizens of a heavenly kingdom about how we navigate the grief and lament that we're feeling. So I hope you guys will will process and bear with us. You guys heard Bo and I do a podcast recently where things got a little emotional. Same thing may happen today, but uh, just pray for us and and we're praying for you in the same regard. So uh, Jamar, let me ask you this, man. What are some lingering thoughts from the past week? And not just that, hey, we're sad, but what are some lingering prevailing threads that must be reckoned with, must be considered, and must be thought about even as we try to move forward day by day in in the
0: wake of what has happened. I think in the midst of the grief and the sadness, there's legitimate anger. Um, yeah, that Christians almost brush aside anger, right? Like like all anger is sinful. When there is such a thing as righteous indignation, where as the Holy Spirit conforms us more and more to the image of Christ and what what Christ wants, what Christ loves, we also begin to hate what he hates. Mm. And that is injustice. Um, And so, particularly on the part of African Americans who daily, and I'm talking, hear me, daily, um, have to navigate the world uh, and avoid Racial landmines. It is exhausting and tiring. And then when two black men get killed on video by police officers, whatever the particular circumstances, uh, it, what what those instances are are simply the extreme manifestation of the subtle realities that we deal with on a day to day basis. And so when we see this and we see the blood spilled and literally see the life draining out of these men shared tens of thousands of times across social media, there's anger. And not only on the part of African-Americans, but anyone who's an ally for racial justice, there's legitimate anger. And yet um, we give that short shrift. And I think, oh, man, it comes out in a lot of ways, right? Um, Yes, yes. So I'm really mad at pundits who will decry something like Black Lives Matter, which comes with all its own baggage. I get that. I get legitimate, informed critiques of the movement. But I'm mad at folks, or at least their arguments, when they decry the movement. And yet, A, they've hardly spoken up about racial injustice in the past. And if they have, it's not been very helpful. All lives matter kinds of things. Um, and B, when they do decry the movement, they don't offer any constructive solutions. And so I don't Man. know what, why you're talking. <laughs> you just want to make a point and and you don't want to contribute to any solutions. And that ticks me off because a lot of times it's folks who are not African-American making these comments. There there are some African-Americans making those comments. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, especially if you're not African American, you don't have that lived experience. And I'm not saying that 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 no one but African Americans can talk about racially. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about come from an informed perspective. And if all you have to offer is critique without anything constructive, if all you have to do is sit on the sidelines and throw stones without being in the game, I don't really want to hear from you. So, yeah, and that that kind of takes us
2: back to Jesse Williams' speech at the BET Awards, right? If you're mm-hmm. going to criticize us, have a record of decrying the oppression that has plagued us. You know, yes. How do we? How can you have credibility on any issue? And I think that's another thing that that makes it very difficult to have this conversation is the lack of of credibility, um, the, the lack of necessity for credibility in this conversation. And so, what I mean by that is anybody can comment about our culture and our people and cities that they see as uh, festering zones of black pathology. And and they can comment without any any price of admission. So they don't have Uh, to know any black friends. They don't have to be in black areas. Uh, They don't have to have studied these issues. They don't have to have listened to black scholars and black scholarship, but really they just hop into the situation and speak very freely about something that is personal for us, and it's almost like sniping from a distance without en- en- engaging in hand to hand. And I don't have any, I don't have any respect for that. And it does come from those political pundits because that's what they do. So then there's a trickle down effect. Um, I've also been a little bit miffed at, um, and this is not directed at any person or people per se. But I just feel like there's a heavy leadership vacuum Whoa. right now. And, yeah. and there's a just a wide open leadership vacuum from people willing to put their their careers and their reputations and their brands and their sales and their Twitter followers and their Facebook friends on the line to say what needs to be said. And what needs to be said you know may look different for different people and different in different contexts so i'm not saying you have to say what we say or say what an activist says or or say what anyone else says but can we say what the bible says mm. can we speak biblical truth and i'm seeing a leadership vacuum honestly i've seen some areas where this has been um, displayed in in stumbling ways, displayed in also healthy ways, and I've appreciated the people who have spoken out and who have come to me and said, I didn't know what I was, I don't know if I said that right, I didn't know if I did that right. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate you, you speaking because silence is deadly, and silence is, is what ends up getting more of us killed. But for those people who, who continue the regular sermon series on Sunday, for those people who what are you doing? You know, what
0: are, (laughs) does
2: does this not, and I think this has been my biggest question is, even if you don't agree with our protests, even if you don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement, even if you don't believe that there is, is heavy racial disparity in the way that law enforcement treats groups, even if you don't believe any of that, when you look at a video of someone dying how does that make you feel? Does that bother you? And if that doesn't bother you, why not? Does that, is, is that concerning to you? That someone died? People died on cam and their, their, their families are going to relive that for the rest of their lives? That's a historical artifact now. A mm-hmm. Facebook Live video is a historical artifact that will be consistently replayed. I was watching a YouTube video yesterday where they just showed the picture of Laquan McDonald, showed the video of Laquan McDonald getting shot 15, 16, 17 times by police. I wasn't prepared for that. And imagine, I'm not related to him. Mm. I'm not related to Alton Sterling. I'm not related to Philando Castile. So why does that not bother us? And where does that come into play to where we're arguing about whether or not, retroactively arguing about whether or not these people deserved any sort of human dignity if it doesn't if even if you don't agree with the cause seeing someone die on camera can't be usual it can't be normal for us man like that can't be casual and that opens up a lot of threads about death and value of of human life and sanctity of human life which are important but come on man like even if you don't agree you can at least, and I've seen people who do this. None, no, no sympathy, no empathy, no emotional response. And I don't want to get caught up into that because there, are, there are many more examples of people who have encouraged us. But, but man, that, that that is distressing.
0: I think one of the things you're touching on is Christian silence in the face of these particular tragedies, and mm-hmm. and and that's important, right? Christians are not silent. About terrorist attacks on Christians abroad, um, right. you know, in many cases, not silent about particular issues such such as abortion, and we shouldn't be. We're not silent on lots of other issues, but when it comes to this issue of racial injustice, uh, the 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 branch of Christianity that you and I inhabit, which is to say, theologically conservative, generally reformed Christianity, right. um, which is predominantly white, has relatively little to say and little to say publicly. And so, it, it you know, it's not that pastors and other thought leaders are cold-hearted human beings that don't feel any empathy. I will say there are plenty of folks who just kind of check off the, yeah, that death was tragic and sad, and move on to their talking points, which I don't think is helpful. I think there are plenty of people who do that. But I think there are far more um, pastors and church leaders who genuinely do think that those individual deaths were wrong and tragic and grieve for it. But does that move you to do anything, not only publicly, but persistently? Right. And that's one of the things right. I'm concerned about, right? So, so this this latest string of disasters involved two video recorded murders on camera uh, within a day of each other, and uh, the day after the last killing, the murder of five police officers. So, yeah. it made it almost unavoidable. This was a a, a A relatively this was an explosive it was an explosive string of events that made silence um, seem very conspicuous but there are countless other episodes of people dying where maybe it wasn't seven people in a week um, but one person at a time yeah that has not moved people That has not moved people to speak up about it. And I'm also very concerned about what happens after this. Okay, so maybe you did get moved to preach a sermon on this, hold a conversation, uh, attend a a vigil, whatever it might be. Well, number one, if it took the deaths of seven people to finally get you to speak up publicly, what does that say? And then number two, what Mm -hmm. happened after this? If there's not an ongoing, persistent move toward racial justice, what is that saying about the church? And I don't mean that you need to preach this in every sermon. Preach the text, obviously. But if you don't have ongoing relationships with other churches um, that that have people of different ethnicities, if your dinner table uh, isn't looking more diverse, if your Facebook page and pictures all have the same kinds of people, if you are not actively in your own personal life, as well as corporately in your congregation, being proactive, not reactive about racial justice, we've got a serious problem. And it's only going to be, you know, this kind of outcry and conversation for a couple days, a few weeks, and then it'll all die down until the next tragedy and disaster in the same Cycle repeat, so
2: and, and I really want to be clear when I say that when or when you say that there has to be a public and a private challenge of well, what are you doing publicly and then what are you doing privately? I just want you to put this in context here, and I'm not not throwing anyone under the bus uh, and you know the person who I'm not mentioning names, I'm not you know I just want to make this clear, but I've had people sit across the table from me who are Christians, who are Christian leaders, who are pastors. And tell me that racial profiling by law enforcement, those tactics, they support them. Now, they sit across from me, <laughs> knowing what I look like, knowing what I believe in, knowing some of the history and backstory that I've told them. And they say that is okay. Now, and what we preliminarily know about Fernando Castile's incident is that it was motivated at least indirectly by some form of profile. I mean, these are issues that when you say, let's pray or let's have a vigil or let's have a unity march, awesome. And then what? Because Mm -hmm. those issues are not getting directly addressed. Are you praying specifically? Lord, we pray that law enforcement would not have bias because you hate bias you hate partiality you hate preferential treatment that we would not be biased on ethnic or class lines race or class racism or classism that we would not fester in places and exploit people for money which is what happened in ferguson which is what happens everywhere. With, Philando Castile was pulled over 52 times
0: Come on, bro. prior
2: to. Come, I mean, that's not just an issue of we pray and we read our Bible and we teach exposition, expositionally. Do all that. I'm not knocking that at all. I believe in that. I believe that culture will not truly change until we do that more. But once we leave and exit, what did Malcolm X do? When he was recruiting people for the Nation of Islam, he stood outside of black churches and churches period. And what did he say? He said, you're you have you have shouted in there and you have given your money, and then you come out here, and nothing has changed about your situation. Mm. Like so we can't act like this is just. And that's been the frustrating part, man, honestly, to see to see certain people speak and And I'm like, but man, you sat across the table from me." I'm just being very honest here and this nobody's listening to this podcast who knows it but I, I I'm you sitting across the table from me and saying that there's something scientific that causes black people to respond irrationally. how do I how, how, what what type of prayer do we no you need to repent doc. like repent, get on your knees, get on your face until the Holy Spirit convicts you of prejudice, of bias, of bigotry. And so, you know, I, I hear all the prayer talk man and I, I praise God for it. And um and I think it's good and we're definitely going to do that. But until someone stands up and says, "Look, if you out here giving passes, uh, if you're saying, "Well, you know, some of the members in my church don't really believe in interracial marriage." Come on. But, man. you know, you know, I mean, they're they're from a different generation. They're they bad. they're sinning that they they they're in iniquity and yes. the Lord
0: will judge that. And, and you know? this silence is literally deadly. And, and I'll tell you yes. what I think is part of the problem. So I did a presentation at um, the Presbyterian Church in America's annual General Assembly. It was on the book Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. We're going to have uh, Michael Emerson on the show in a couple of Huge. weeks later, so we can get it from him. But... In that incredibly insightful sociological analysis of white evangelicalism, the authors basically posit that the social, cultural, and even religious tools of white evangelicals actually prevent the kind of racial progress they verbally advocate. And let me break that Mm. down. White evangelicalism, in general, subscribes to three ideas— that work against broader um, progress in terms of race relations. One is this idea of uh, individualism, um, moral individualism. Two is this idea of anti-structuralism. And then three is this idea of relationalism. So individualism—and and and they all have a theological grounding, so I'll, I'll try to be gr- brief um, and then connect it to why— you know these prayers or good intentions really don't amount to much social change. So the first level on individualism is that every person is a person of free will and an accountable moral agent. And as Christians, we believe and affirm that, right? We are going to be judged on the basis of our actions, and those who are not in Christ are going to be judged and uh, it condemned for them because they didn't live up to God's holy standards. Those of us who are in Christ, thankfully, will be judged, not according to our actions, but to Christ's actions, his perfect life, direction imputed to us. Um, so as Christians, we believe in moral accountability. But the problem is this. If that is your only explanation for sin, you're missing a big portion of it. A lot of people on, will say. A lot of people will say, "Look, if these folks had just um, complied with the officers, uh, they'll dig up their their legal histories." and say, look, they were you know, fathering children out of wedlock, they had a record, all of these things that actually have nothing to do with the actual incident wherein they lost their life. What that is is an emphasis on moral accountability in individual terms without recognizing that systems, policies, and practices can put you in a place to maximize your opportunity to make good moral decisions or – minimize those opportunities leading you to make bad decisions guys out front selling cds because he doesn't have another way to make money because a felon is barred from all kinds of 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 jobs and 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 different opportunities um yeah. he's his choices are limited now you can go back again and say well that was his choice those are the consequences okay nothing much is going to change if that's your attitude number two sorry it's taking so long nah nah speak speak Number two is uh, this anti-structuralism, which says if you start saying that it's policies, that it's practices, that it's laws that are to blame, then you are taking away from a person's own individual moral accountability Mm. so that any explanations that have to do with the structure of society, which we would call systemic racism or systemic injustice, that gets dismissed out of hand. Why? Because everybody's their own responsible moral agent. And if people would just make better individual decisions, then they wouldn't have these Just like I did or just like my friend did. Yes, failing to recognize that, no, brothers and sisters, if you're white, there is a structure that is in place that works to your advantage, whether that's the legal system, the educational system, the economic system. It has been structured around whiteness. It, is, it yes. advantages whiteness, whether you are poor or rich. Now, there's this concept of intersectionality that I can't get into right now. Teach, but teach, all teach. Saying, all I'm saying is in the U.S. structure, your whiteness is not a disadvantage or a liability in almost all meaningful cases when it comes to quality of life issues. Man. And so this anti-structuralist idea says, look, we don't need to address the courts or the police system in general. Uh, we need to address individuals on their level. And then lastly is relationalism. It's this idea that uh, because of our you know, independent individualistic mindset, our anti-structural mindset, that how do you solve these problems? It's one-to-one. That's having the lunches that's that's saying some of my best friends are black. That's right. saying I don't personally hate anyone. As a matter of fact, I have I I have lots of friends who are who are black. And it's this idea that if we are just nice to people of a different race relationally, that uh, these problems will begin to disappear. Now, I'm not discounting the power of relationships. Relationships change minds, change mindsets. Really, it's a relationship with Christ that has changed us. So you can't right. discount that. But you also these ex- these ideas have to exist simultaneously and in intention that it is both individual and corporate. That is both um, uh, personal and structural, that it is both uh, relational and systemic. So, man, I hope you guys
2: were writing that down because that was. Listen, you got to get that book. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how many times we said to get divided by faith, I'm but
0: um They should give me some royalties.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to have Dr. Emerson on to talk about that. Um, Okay. So let's kind of transition because I don't think there's anything we can add to that.
1: Actually, can I Um, jump in?
2: No, absolutely. Come on in, Bo.
1: Sorry about the jarring jump in. So last week I found myself, like, you know, I was in Chicago the whole time and like, I found myself constantly just in mourning. Like I was mourning, I was mourning you guys. I was, I was seeing like the hashtags of like all of my friends like all of my black friends and I was just constantly like, I just felt this need. Like I needed to be, I wanted to be close with them. I wanted to know they were alive. I wanted to know they were okay. Cause I just felt so powerless to, to do anything. Like I even like, you know, that that terrible scene. I don't, this, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I'm just going to say it you know, that terrible scene from Batman versus Superbowl, well, let me be more specific. There was a terrible scene in Batman versus Superman. There was a lot of, them. <laughs> but there was that, is that one that I hated, which I mean, I hated a lot of them, but there was one that I hated, especially, which was the one where he's in like the government building and the explosion goes off and he's just standing there all sad. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this guy who has the superpower of being in the middle of an explosion and not being hurt. Like it can't physically hurt him at all. And yet he's like he's powerless to stop the destruction and death around him. And that's kind of how I felt a little bit in the midst of, of last week. And so I had this like internal desire to like call up people and just tell them like, I care about them and like, I just like, I I didn't, but the problem is, all right, so here's, here's the question. I wanted to let my friends know, my African American friends know that I love them. I care about them. They, I, I see them like as, as human. Like I don't disqualify them or I don't see them as less But the very thought of saying that seems patronizing to say, you know what I mean? Like I felt I didn't know exactly. It's easier with kind of Christian brothers, but like a lot of my African-American friends outside of the church, especially, I didn't know how to broach that and just say like, look, I, I didn't know how to process those emotions. And I also didn't want to make it about me at all. And that's the other thing. So I just, I wanted to be emotionally supportive as best I can. And just on a personal level, I just want to express that. And I don't know how to express that. You know,
2: man, that's just human feelings, man. That That's uh...
1: so I guess here's the question then. So how like I'm not looking at last week as this big. Um, it's not like all of a sudden. Oh, wait, I have white privilege or oh, wait, pre- police brutality like this. I mean, that's not a new concept to me, but like when these moments happen and as they build, I find myself more and more, especially as I hear the pain of fellow friends in the in just even in the local community. I want to offer support and I don't know how to do that without feeling cheesy or, and I don't know how to do that in a way that in my head doesn't come across as patronizing or paternalistic. I like, I don't know. I right. can't figure out what what the words are to say. Like I've got all of these emotions, but I can't process them into words. And so yeah, I don't know. like,
2: what's, what's appropriate expression of grief or what's appropriate expression of condolence to people who, um, Feel things that can't really be explained, yeah, or feel things that have a connection to things that you might not, but but they have this deep connection and you care about them, and so thus you have that same connection, but well, yeah. in a different way.
1: And it's not just because the thing I hear a lot is like people will say, you know, uh, you know, oh, my white friends, they're sad, they're sad that I'm sad, and that then that's part of it, but that's not all of it, like it's not just I'm sad that you're sad. Like I recognize not just that you're sad. Like I recognize that this is right. a lot larger. We've we've been at this. I mean, in terms of okay. like arms deep, you know, we've been we've been publicly podcasting about this in the lat, for the last three years, <laughs> almost three yep. years now. Um, and nothing nothing here is new. What what, what uh, you keep on seeing this this tweet, and it's true, which is that you know the the incidents aren't new. The technology is right and even in the last 2 years the technology's not new we've just getting more and more exposure as things go more and more viral and people are becoming more and more vocal which is good and every single time this has happened we we, we do our song and dance is what it feels like you know i and part of the reason i didn't want to come on is cuz I, I don't want to I don't, I don't have hopeful things to say I, you know maybe i shouldn't maybe i actually shouldn't no no nah, nah, speak 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 I think I allowed myself to process this time differently. I think, I think just the repetition and just the fact that, like I said, I, I know people who would be a Sterling. I, I've got close friends who would be a Castile. And I allowed myself not to see those hashtags, not to see Sterling and Castile. I allowed myself to see the hashtag Burns. And I allowed myself to see the hashtag Tisby. Over and over again, throughout those three days, I just kept on seeing that and mourning... People who were not dead, but I was powerless to do anything, I just felt so powerless. Maybe, and maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's this time, just the way that I processed it, it impacted me in a different way. But I was so fed up. I even, I think I posted this to the Facebook group. But I just, I wasn't prepared to go in and on Sunday and just sit in a pew and pretend like this last past week didn't happen. And what we got is what exactly I projected, predicted, which is we got a prayer. And it was an emotional prayer, but that's it. And I mean, I'm not trying to, our, our pastor had a lot on his plate. I mean, I don't want to, but the fact of the matter is I've, I've been in the PCA my entire life and this has happened too much. And too many times it's just been a prayer. I don't know, man.
0: I, I Yeah. Nah, man. Well, that's, it's necessary. Uh, if yeah. we don't hear what this feels like. And it's hard to come through on a podcast. Um, I don't think we're realizing the gravity of the situation. And I know you, Bo. I know your heart. I know you struggle um, with how to weigh in as, as a as a white person into some of these matters because you're very sensitive to you know not wanting to deflect attention back onto yourself, back onto whiteness. So I appreciate that. Uh, But, Bo, I think some of the sorrow you're feeling and some of our other white brothers and sisters who may be listening, the sorrow you're feeling is not sorrow simply as a white person who's fed up with racism. It's sorrow that you're feeling as a brother or sister in Christ who is hurting along with the body. And that transcends race. That is a connection that the Holy Spirit has wrought through the blood-bought sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you're feeling the way our friend and our brother Bo feels, if, you're, if you are heavy-hearted, um, even despondent in this moment, frustrated, even if you're not African-American, um, I say thank God for that because it shows we're united by something far more profound. Than uh, a national identity or a racial identity, but we're united by a spiritual identity. And when one part of the body hurts, all of us suffer. So if we're finally waking up to that, um, or if that's at least finally becoming public, then I think that's a form of very painful progress. So I do appreciate your point, Bo.
1: That's great. And thank you. But like, that's not what I want. You know what I mean? Like, that's not. I don't, uh, it's exactly what you just said. I don't want the picture of the, you know, the black pro protester and the white cop hugging, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I, I yeah. don't want to turn this around. Like th- that's
0: yeah. I, there's gotta be a moment of change and reckoning. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, I think, uh, and this is what I was
2: talking with somebody about. I'm sorry about not to cut you off, no, no, this is what don't. I was talking to somebody about just yesterday. Just saw this point was I don't want good vibes more than justice. Mm.
1: Like
2: mm-hmm. I want, I want justice you know what i'm saying and i think that's that's the 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 pain that we feel and i think the the reckoning with that and the desire for that is an intensely gospel desire but mm-hmm. it's also a heart rending desire because we we recognize that we live in, in the not in the the full application and full experience of gospel unity and justice and we won't until Christ comes so there is that rending portion of it that makes us cry and makes us lament. That, that's what lamentations is for. That's what the laments are for, lamenting psalms. That's what they're for because there's this rending and there's this anger and there's this trauma that we're feeling and we, we don't want tidy explanations and we don't want theological systems and we don't need just the catechism right now. You know, we need more than that. We need justice to to flow, you know, and to roll down like waters, you know, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So I, I feel that because that's that's something that has made it difficult for me to speak, because at some point in time, people just expect you to be hopeful. Which is why, again, you know, kind of going back and not to get on this tangent, but but going back to what I was talking about with with Tanahassi Coates, I get it, man. Like I I get it, especially if someone who's not in Christ. What do you mean? What you want me to be hopeful for? What it, even those of us in Christ, we like. You want us to be? Do you want us to be hopeful, or do you want us to be silent? Or do you want us to be positive, or do you want us to wrap everything up in a bow so we don't feel bad at the end? And I, mean? I, I resonate with that, man. I resonate with the desire to say, Nah, I need justice. I don't need pictures of people hugging and then pictures <laughs> of people pat. I mean, that's great, and I don't. I think those things can be powerful, but I don't need that show. I don't need drama or theater like we need we need that to materialize in policy.
0: And that's the that's the fundamental disconnect is that in in the church in the U.S. today, and I'm talking again specifically about theologically conservative Bible believing folks, uh, we have somehow or at least certain segments of us have separated those two as if a deep, robust, profound faith is not an active or an activistic one. Which is yeah. which is absolutely not right. I was reading um, uh, about Fannie Lou Hamer, famed civil rights activist from the Mississippi Delta. This woman testified at uh, uh, the the Democratic National Convention in 1964, and uh, went from you know obscurity. She's a sharecropper to speaking to the nation's most powerful political officials. And she did it not tangentially, but directly as an outworking of her faith. She saw her activism on the part of the poor and on the part of African-Americans for racial Mm -hmm. justice. She saw her activism as, as her faith working itself out. And I think more of us need to do that, and we need to get equipped to know how to do that better. Which is what I was talking about those those kind of uh, really unhelpful ideas: anti-structuralism, relationalism, individualism that can actually impede that. We need to add that to our vocabulary of change. We need to look at the bigger. And I think Bo, that's where um, you know. Part of what your frustration is coming from is if we keep on thinking in these same categories, then we're going to get the same results. We've actually got to be uh, working against the broader systems that allow these injustices to perpetuate. And here's the crucial part, not see that as – outside the scope of the gospel, but as part of the gospel, not see that as losing the gospel, but as applying the gospel. Mm. And I think you can do it without losing the Bible, because there are so many people who say, oh, that's a slippery slope. You're getting into the social gospel. It's going to become all about, um, you know, change in this life, and it's not going to be about saving souls. No, our witness, we people know the gospel is true by the way we live it. And, it, and 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 yes. for so long people decry black lives matter as a movement and it's a secular movement but it it came about because there was a gap this is what you were talking about Tyler a leadership gap in the church to lead on issues of racial justice so you got folks who aren't even believers stepping up and say hey Black Lives Matter, which is a profoundly Christian and theological idea having everything to do with the image of God, and you've got them articulating and moving and active, um, showing activism far more than, than, than many sectors of the Christian church, and that's an indictment on us. So yeah. yes, things need to change. Um, I, on the one hand, want to affirm brothers and sisters who are feeling the weight of this, on the other hand, I'm like you, Tyler and Bo, something's really mo- profoundly got to, to to change. It cannot be business as usual from here on out. And it never should have been a business as usual that perpetuated uh, racial injustice. So, uh,
2: yeah, I, I just want to say something as I know we have to to wrap up here. Yeah. Um, And thank you guys for just bearing with us. You made it to the end of the podcast. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you um, for just, you know, listening and uh, just a special shout out to our Pastor Mike Facebook group. And I'm not just saying this because this is our quote unquote group, um, the extension of our podcast where we kind of have these conversations with people from uh, actually around the world talking through these things from a biblical perspective and lens. But Man, I I appreciate you guys and I appreciate the 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 outpouring of support. The Pastor Mike Facebook group, to be very clear with you, is not some kumbaya. I mean it's not rose petals and candles, you know. It is a very real raw place of reckoning with these ideas of if if we believe in racial reconciliation and gospel uh justice, what does that actually look like? You know, if we believe that everyone's life truly does matter, including Black lives. But how do we walk through that? Um, And so I just want to shout you guys out. And I just want to make just this one plea because I think this is directly relevant to what we're talking about. But please, 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 everyone who's listening, whether you're part of the group or not, if this is your first time listening to a podcast or your 50th time, it doesn't matter. Take care of your mental and emotional state. Yeah, like, I can't say that enough. Please, please, please care for the, the scripture does not just call us to love the Lord with our our spirit, but also with our mind, with our emotions, with our with our bodies, with everything. So please, please, please care for your emotional state. There was an article I was reading earlier that talks about the amount of trauma that results yeah. from having black death at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Like you can just have death at your fingertips at any point. It is the, the truly the underbelly of the internet that you can watch someone's life expire and, and just go about your day and keep cooking dinner and, and, you know, throw on Netflix and then just walk around and go exercise. Like that's not healthy. So I just want to encourage you exercise, exercise man get out and and get off social media walk around
1: play pokemon go play
2: game play pokemon Look, let go let me tell you something cuz i Never thought about one.
1: this <laughs> pokemon go I, I i believe this sincerely i believe like there is some sovereignty in the nature of pokemon go oh, releasing when it, i'm being serious cuz i was like I said, I was in Chicago last week when it launched and it was in the midst of all this. And I was sitting by myself crying in a diner having breakfast. And then I saw Pokemon Go and I downloaded it because I was like, I just need to do something. I need to like, you know, wow. I need a moment of rest for just a minute. And what's been great about that particular game is not only does it provide kind of a, 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 a like a mental or a social break or something, I don't know what it is, but it provides you just kind of a, a moment or, moment of rest. But it's also a very community-driven game. So, like, you go yes. out to different locations, and I've met so many different people. And it's funny seeing different people of different walks of life all like converging on one location, trying to catch Pokemon together. Nineties nostalgia, but, my friend, yes. is a powerful, powerful it's, thing. It's huge,
2: man. I just, I just want to encourage. I mean, whatever it takes, because you know, I've been playing the game myself. I haven't had as much time to play the game as I want, but I'm um, actually planning to do that tonight. Um, just walk around with, um, with my wife and with some friends and just, just play it. But, um, (laughs) man, whatever, whatever it takes, log off social media,
1: Mm, cut
2: the TV off, go to sleep. Like it will, it will have ramifications for how you live and how you operate in your emotional state. You are in trauma, especially if you are black in America, you are likely in trauma. Uh, act accordingly, care for the body that the Lord has given you. So I just want to throw that out there. That's, That's very important. You're not going to hear a lot of that, but this will continue. And as you continue to have these conversations and see these frustrating Facebook comments, you hear is silence and inaction. action. Or if you're having a great time and you're experiencing um, change, you're experiencing the, the seeds of, of justice and reconciliation, no matter what it is, You need to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally. So please, 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 as the Pastor Mike family, please do that for yourself. The Lord is pleased in that.
0: Amen, brother. Well, this has been uh, sort of self-care for me. It's uh, helpful to talk to y'all. Vent a little bit. Process out loud, as you said at the beginning of the show, Tyler and, uh, you know, i echo you i am thankful for the community we have on the Pastor Mike facebook group thankful for brothers like bo and tyler and so many others the text messages the emails just checking on folks uh the pastors who are hustling to to make racial justice a priority definitely appreciate y'all thank you for listening and uh take care of yourself so you can come back again next week and listen
2: and we're we gonna work through this man the lord his kingdom come his will be done on earth as it is in heaven
0: Man.
1: You've been listening to Pass the Mike, a Podesterry production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit podesterry.com. That's P O D A S T E R Y.com.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast.